You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Sherry Walzak, the founding partner for The Garden, one of Canada's top independent creative and brand strategy agencies. Over the years, her guidance and leadership has helped some of North America's top brands, including Capital One, Samsung, Cineplex, Coca-Cola, and Audi. She shares a common belief with her clients that there is a better way for brands to connect with people in an authentic way to both generate business results and have a positive real-world impact. Sherry is also committed to supporting and encouraging the growth of other female-founded organizations. She is a proud activator for SheEO, supporting other women-owned ventures that are creating a better world, as well as a contributor to the recently published bestseller, The Collective Wisdom of High-Performing Women, Leadership Lessons from the Judy Project. Sherry, <laughs> it's so great to have you join me today. Well, I'm really excited. I, it's very nice of you to invite me, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. So why don't we start with your origin story? How did you get started in marketing? Oh, my goodness. It's funny because I've been... I, <laughs> the origin story is such a long one, and I, I often talk about the fact that it's 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 not a... It's not a typical career path. And yet again, I don't think there are many typical career paths any longer. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I have actually been in the advertising, marketing, brand strategy business literally since the beginning of my career. And I actually, I started my career in 1994, which it's so funny for a lot of people to think about that because it was a world before social media existed, Mm -hmm. the internet existed, but in a very different format. This would have felt like science fiction back then, I think, to everybody. (laughs) But yeah, I started in kind of the typical advertising agency world. I started with a, a larger agency, a multinational that some of your listeners might have heard of called Leo Burnett. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started in an account service path, which is kind of, you know, client leadership, managing client businesses. But I happened to have a really interesting boss that I was working with, right? Literally, I started working with him right out of school. And he, speaking of the internet, he was really interested. He was subscribing to this new magazine that nobody had heard of called Wired Magazine, which is funny now to think <laughs> about that. Yeah. And he and I would actually just sit and talk about, I think because I was a new graduate, he knew that I was someone who he could really talk to about this and we could imagine a bit about the future. And that's really where some of my interesting pathways kind of opened up because we kind of undercover of the agency world, which really at that time did not understand the internet or what it was about. Uh, We we were just dipping our toes in email at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And he and I started imagining possibilities and dipping our toe in. And before we knew it, we were actually running almost like an underground internet group inside of Leo Burnett, which a lot of people don't realize. It was Leo Burnett Interactive. And that's just, it it was really interesting because that really started me on the path of digital and interactive marketing. And then from there, I sort of, I actually moved into another big Canadian agency, Cossette. Mm -hmm. They hired me to run their uh, digital operations and kind of grow that group. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a really great, the internet's been a great opportunity for me. I think a lot of people have probably found that over the last few decades because it was so new that it afforded opportunity for people potentially younger and earlier in their careers Mm -hmm. to have more of an impact and maybe take on more senior roles. So I got the opportunity to be the general manager for that group. After several years, after the birth of a child, after actually taking a year off out of the workforce to backpack around the world, Mm. I came back because I realized I had sort of some 
oats to sow. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going, uh, joining actually somebody who had become a partner for at that time, a new independent agency in Canada called John Street. And she had been a former boss of mine in my very first job at Leo Burnett. And so she brought me in and it was, I think it was the combination of having traveled, it forced as, it's a bit cliche, right? Traveled, mm. I started to find myself <laughs> and think about what inspired me. And it was a, it was kind of a key moment though in my career where I really looked at, it wasn't a situation where I didn't love my work, but I don't know that I'd gotten at the heart of what it was that motivated me. Mm. And I realized a lot of offers were being thrown at me to run other big digital organizations. And I took some mm. time to realize it wasn't necessarily the technology I loved, It was working with executives, and it happened to be through the lens of digital and e-commerce and the internet, thinking about the implications on business and brands. And Mm -hmm. it's actually what kind of inspired me to move more in the direction of brand strategy, because I realized it was actually strategy and big business problems I love to dig into. Mm -hmm. And that was really what set kind of the second part of my career that after um, leading strategy at a couple of agencies, I six years ago ended up launching my own agency with a partner. So yeah. Well, that's so exciting. And how has it been going for you six years in? And (laughs) I know the two of you started on your own and since have, have grown and introduced team members. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, it's funny because last year, just right before the pandemic really hit us and all of us, we were actually in the process of planning for our five-year party. We wanted to have this big celebration because there's always talk of, you know, small independent businesses. If you can make it past your five-year mark, that's a really mm-hmm. big milestone. Mm-hmm. So we were going to open up our space, even though our five-year celebration would have been in kind of February, March, but we had decided we were going to do it in June when it was really nice out. And then, of course, we were hit with a pandemic that at the time, I'm sure a lot of people thought about it the same way. We, I remember Shane, Shane Ogilvie is my business partner. And I remember he and I, when we first started hearing about, I think the NBA was shutting down, everything was happening. And we had a quick talk and said, yeah, I think I was heading away for March break with my family. We were driving to Maine to go skiing. And we ended up getting on the phone together and said, yeah, we got to close the office down. And we're like, well, what do you Mm -hmm. think? How long? And I was like, well, we've got a lot of tools in place, so it won't be a Mm -hmm. problem. You know, it'll be a month or so. Yeah. Everybody will be fine. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then we still literally, it's it's still gobsmacking to me that I look back and go, it's been- I know. It's like, it's over a year. It's been what, 16 months? I don't even know. I've lost track, but- yeah, (laughs) We packed up our computers thinking we'd see each other in two weeks, but you know- well, 14 and it's months funny. later. <laughs> and it's are. funny, this stuff you don't think about, but after two months, we went, you know what? Nobody's been in the office and our fridge is full of food. <laughs> so we actually went in the office and had to do a fridge clean out and yeah. all the mold and the science experiments. That oh, yeah. was when we realized, oh yeah, this is, this is, uh, we got to kind of hunker down. This is longer yeah. than we think it'll be. <laughs> Absolutely. We did the exact same thing. <laughs> No more plants. Yeah. <laughs> All day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And imagine we're an office called the garden. Somebody yeah. went in and tried to save our plants, but they were like, I think only one made it. Oh, no. <laughs> there <yeah>. you go. <laughs> so it's interesting with branding and have you seen it evolve in the last 14, 15 months about what brands are looking for and how your approach has changed? Yeah, well, for us, it's it's really interesting because brand, again, we are a creative and strategy agency. So brand strategy is a big part of what we do. When I think an interesting thing happened, and it actually allowed us to maintain some momentum at the beginning of the pandemic, I definitely think 
certainly agencies that were in the middle of big productions and really focusing on that, like we saw that all had to shut down right away. Mm -hmm. We had a couple of things in production at the time. Mm -hmm. So that we absolutely had to put to the side, but we had a number of brand strategy engagements that we were at different stages of work with those. And they continued. We ourselves, we do the majority of our work we do through workshops. It's a big part of our processes. We have some proprietary workshops. So we did have a moment early on where we'd even just signed some new engagements with a few clients and we kicked them off with one of our workshops called the dig workshop. And it's interesting because you do learn how you have to solve problems on the fly, but suddenly you're doing it for yourself. And I remember Mm -hmm. at that time turning to our team and saying, we have two weeks before that workshop. We need it to kick off this process, but we now need to do it completely virtually. So we need to scan what tools are out there? What could we possibly use? And my team was awesome. They went out digging around. Mm-hmm. We looked at a lot of options. There was nothing perfect, right? Everything was mm-hmm. just being kind of developed at that point. But we ended up finding a great online environment that could mimic that collaborative space. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, we kind of connected that with Zoom and we we put it together and we ran within a month of the pandemic setting, we ran our first workshop with clients from Chicago. In fact, it was interesting. I think we actually got some more clients participating in the workshop than we might have Mm -hmm. in the physical world because suddenly, yeah, we had clients in Chicago, in the UK, all across Canada, like certainly in Toronto, Mm -hmm. there were a few, but we had some from Alberta and BC and even Ottawa. And it was great. Like it really, so it's quite interesting now because that's now turned into each, we've probably since the pandemic started, we've probably hosted at least 10 to 15 workshops now, different types of workshops. And they're not all perfect. What I find is with our clients, there's been a real empathy and kind of sense of partnership. And we're sort of in this. Mm -hmm. So there's so much tolerance for, oh, maybe there was this mistake that happened. And and we've been able to use it as a bit of a beta testing ground. And each one's gotten better. Mm -hmm. I do think we are craving that in-person interaction. Mm-hmm. but we were able to make that switch. So that was one thing that actually worked well for us. The other thing that happened was that as some businesses that, as I mentioned, were very, maybe kind of more production heavy, those started to really, really dial down or freeze. And that we also experienced that with a couple mm-hmm. of our clients. But on the flip side, I think once the realization dawned on everybody that this is actually going to be an extended period of time, we actually found a number of clients, I think, took the opportunity to look inward a little bit and say, you know what, we've been wanting to transform or look at things differently. And maybe this has now presented that opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. So we had a number of new engagements that came in very heavy on the brand strategy side of, we need somebody to help us navigate this, but now is the time to to do that. And I I would say that really was a great boon to our business Mm -hmm. for a lot of last year. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that there were a lot of silver linings for those that were prepared to jump on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not to say there haven't been ups and downs. You know, I would be, I believe very much in authenticity and people telling the truth to each other. And I think you can sometimes sit in a situation like this and be like, oh my gosh, it's been all rosy. And Mm -hmm. well, I'm very happy to say like we've been able to keep almost our entire team intact, which was our Mm -hmm. first goal. Yeah. Bring in new clients. There were also downtimes. Like we had some clients that went different directions and Mm -hmm. we also saw budgets freeze. And interestingly, I think last spring and summer were a bit of uncertainty for people. And that's where we saw some new clients come in. Mm -hmm. In the fall, really busy, tons of momentum. The early part of this year gave us pause. Like Shane and I had to sit and look because I think what happened was with everything changing, I think a lot of, especially marketing budgets, there was a lot of like, 
we got to start putting some stuff on hold or cutting back until we figure out what's happening. And so there was almost a lagging effect that Mm -hmm. hit. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we're now like, again, it's, it's just this roller coaster, which is, that's entrepreneurship overall, right? I'd be lying if I, I will say pandemic is not something we ever would have planned around or anything, (laughs) but we've had a lot of weird things happen in the last six years and you learn resilience. In fact, I would probably credit some of those ups and downs we've gone through in the past Mm -hmm. helped us face this. It didn't give us solutions, but it it gave us the ability to kind of just sort of take it one day at a time and figure things out and not, not completely panic or fall apart. Absolutely. So when a brand comes to you, what are their biggest pain points that they're hoping you'll solve? Well, interestingly, there's all different categories and every problem Mm -hmm. is unique. We have one group of clients I found, and they happen to be a group we in particular love working with, and they they do tend to be founder-led companies. And what happens though is that, as we know, a lot of entrepreneurs, when they start out, they're bootstrapping. And Mm -hmm. a lot of their dollars are focused on developing their product or their service, bringing in key people. I think what I've found often is that entrepreneurs in particular will think that, oh, brand, that's the purview of Unilever or you know, GM, like they can afford to invest in brand. And, and I think some of that commentary comes from the thinking that there's an equating of brand with advertising or communications. Yes. Yes. But so one group we found that will come to us is that they've kind of gone through their first stage of establishing themselves. They've reached their first milestones of success. And they're Mm -hmm. now suddenly coming to a point where they're like, either their industry is becoming commoditized. Competitors are jumping in if they've had a lot of success to say, we want to jump on that. And they suddenly look back and go, okay, we need to set ourselves up for the next stage of success. And part of that Mm -hmm. is really digging into our brand and understanding what we stand for. How do we differentiate? So that's one whole group I find that really comes to Mm -hmm. us. And, um, and another group that comes to us are often quite established organizations, but Mm -hmm. who sort of feel like our brand's not feeling as relevant anymore, or maybe we've Mm -hmm. even just, we did brand work and some of that thinking, and then we fell back into a world of functional communications and just, and we've forgotten some of that. And I also Mm -hmm. think some of them where a lot of people really, when they talk to us, and I think where we find some real alignment is that we often say at the garden, we really do believe this, that brand love needs to start inside of an organization and then radiate outwards. So -hmm. sometimes I will say where it's coming from is not even necessarily an external push, but an internal push where everybody's, they're either noticing that for whatever reason, it often comes out of marketing and you'll have marketing, you know, directors and VPs, they'll start talking to people around the organization and say, well, what do you think about our brand? What does our brand Mm -hmm. mean to you? Mm -hmm. And they find themselves in that moment where it's like, I just got back 30 different definitions. Yeah. We need to reinvigorate ourselves. And that will often also be a, a starting point. Absolutely. And I think sometimes too, people confuse branding versus brand. Yes. A visual identity, <laughs> a logo, some brand assets, completely different than... Yes, I'm so glad you said that. Brand. Yes. <laughs> right now, all the designers in our office are like, yes, and all of our brand strategists are, because you're absolutely right. And it's mm-hmm. it's language, right? And you're right. It's tough sometimes when people come to us and are only looking at it through the lens of branding, because you do have to sometimes say to people, once you talk to them a bit, you can get a sense of whether they they know what their brand is all about. And if they're having big challenges, you know... A new logo can be beautiful and exciting, but it's not going to change the course of your business if you haven't done the deep work that you need to do on who you are. Like why you exist might sound very like big and heady, but we don't always mean it in the most altruistic sense, Mm -hmm. but maybe also in the sense of people joined your organization. You have all these employees and teams. They should have a reason why they get up out of bed every day and come into work, like how what they're doing is adding something into the world. And if that something is as basic as 
delicious peanut butter that makes like people smile, then that's, Mm -hmm. that's great. Like that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't all have to be the absolute highest level of altruism, but yeah, absolutely. So how do you approach brand strategy when you onboard a new client? What's your process? In starting the garden, one of the things we realized was how important it was to have a process, one that was flexible to accommodate and adapt to different needs, but actually was a process because if you're reinventing your process every time, I would say your creative energies and your strategic energies are placed in the wrong, they're, they're, they're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So right off the top, Shane and I, as we were kind of mapping out, what was this company, the garden that we were creating? Mm-hmm. What was our process? And, you know, I think it's one of the benefits of he and I both coming from having 20 years of experience mm-hmm. in your career, you look back and you've got the great, the good, the bad, the ugly. And there's finally a point that some people come to. I think it's certainly the point that that led us to start our own agency. And we were like, well, we don't have it all figured out, but we can't expect other people and other businesses to pivot for the way we think things might be able to take place. So we got to beta test some of our own things. So we sat down and we mapped it out and we knew right off the top being a strategist and a creative, like I was an executive strategy director and he was an executive creative director. And one of the things where we saw the most magic was when truly silos had been broken down and those worked as a partnership. And Mm -hmm. we'd worked in a lot of agencies where best of intentions, and honestly, it's not even like formal silos had been planned. And yet Mm -hmm. we often found ourselves in worlds where there was a division that was happening between strategy and creative, and that's Mm -hmm. not healthy. And we didn't think it led to the best output. Hmm. So we sat down together to map out a process and it's the one place where, you know, as, as an ECD, this is what's really great. My, uh, Shane appreciates how a metaphor or a pun can be taken too far and having a name <laughs> like the garden, mm-hmm. he's like, there's a real risk that everything is going to be that. But the one thing mm-hmm. we did ourselves look at when we thought, when we want people to remember our brand, Mm-hmm. Our process is going to be the most important thing, other than the work that we actually do. Our right. process is key. Mm-hmm. So that's the one place that we've leaned into this idea of the garden. And it's because it's part of even our story of when we launched the garden, why we called ourselves that. But our process itself is, it's called Dig, Cultivate, Thrive. And essentially mm-hmm. Dig in a nutshell is opening up opportunity for your brand. I mentioned at the beginning a Dig workshop. Each mm-hmm. of our phases of our process has a workshop built into it because We really do believe in client collaboration and everybody says that and wants it, but if you actually don't put the right tools in place, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So every engagement, and this is even if it's just a very small assignment we're doing, it starts with some form of our dig workshop. If it's Mm -hmm. a really big brand transformation we're being hired for, it tends to be a full day event and it's custom designed, it's actively facilitated. And I think what everybody loves about that from a client perspective is that We always say to them, that workshop is not about answers. We won't come out of it with any answers. It's about questions. Mm -hmm. It's about asking all the questions, challenging each other, reframing the problems to solve, getting into the business, looking at what are all of the positives and great things about our brand and our business, but also having some really get real conversations about what can hold us back. What are some of the obstacles and barriers? We spend time getting inspiration outside of our category. And we do all of that in the course of a day. And that's really how we start off. And then it leads to a process of us taking all of that information, connecting dots, doing further digging. And what we eventually do is we create brand prototypes, which in many cases, the simplest way I can say it is each one coming out of all the work we've done represents potentially a different why and we come in with a few of them and we do it purposely to not come back with the big strategy reveal, but to come back and we test the edges. We, we never bring anything into a room we don't think is viable for that brand. But then we sit down with that team again and mm. we 
challenge it and we go, if we were to say this about our brand, could we live up to that? What would be mm-hmm. the expectations internally, externally? Mm-hmm. What would we never say? Is there anything in here that excites you? Does it start leading you to ideas for your business? And you know, once we go through all of that, get that feedback, sometimes consumer or customer for dealing with B2B, research is part of that to get reactions as well. Mm-hmm. But a big part of for me during that process is not to have people just vote and go, yes, I love this no, I hate this. Mm -hmm. It's using all of that as stimuli to get more conversation going and starting to understand what would expectations be. And from there, we actually craft final brand strategies. We try to write them. They're very strategic, but we try to write them with some inspiration around it. We ground Mm -hmm. them, like Mm -hmm. they include a a why and a belief, but they also include a grounding in what the business is doing both today and maybe wants to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the end of the dig process. And all of that serves as the input to cultivate, which is where we now figure out What is the creative platform around that? How do we take that to market? And one thing that's really great about that process is that we've done so much work together with clients that I found that's a real example of where strategy done right clears the runway for really great creative because we're not using creative to try and solve the problem. We're now using creative to really start to embody and take that strategic foundation to go, how do we have this emotionally connect with real people? Absolutely. So, and then our last phase, so that's really kind of the whole creative exploration, which Mm -hmm. when you talked about branding, what Mm -hmm. sometimes happens, we had a client we worked with last year in the B2B space and they came to us and they said, maybe when we come out of it, there was a whole new executive team. They were definitely reinventing themselves. They were a 20 year old company. And they Mm -hmm. said, maybe it might lead to a new name, but we don't know yet. So we're not sure if that's (laughs) in scope. We finished the brand strategy exercise. And once they saw what they were going to stand for, they looked at us and said, we can't be the same name. Like we just can't. So for us, cultivate then meant naming. And then that was a full new identity, like new logo and everything. But now there was a reason for it. It wasn't just somebody saying, I'm sick of my old logo or a new name. Yeah. Amazing. And I love that you led the client to get there themselves because then they feel like they took ownership over it and they were part of the process. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, the reality is all of us, like what we do, we're all experts in what we do, but our clients mm-hmm. are the experts in what they do. And we do everything we can obviously to get up to speed, but we're not in that world day in and day out. They are. And so if we try to solve this without them being a part of this every step of the way, that's mm-hmm. where you end up in those meetings. And we've all seen this in our past. You know, I've worked at places I absolutely love, but it doesn't mm-hmm. change the fact that you'd end up in those meetings and you can just see the head scratching. Like, mm-hmm. how did you guys get here? And we mm-hmm. don't understand. And mm-hmm. That's where we realized we wanted a process that would mm-hmm. mitigate that as much as possible. So it's really helpful now because even when we're meeting with clients who are talking to different agencies or different companies, trying to figure out who to work with, one of the things we always say is we don't just mean lip service by this. We need clients who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get into mm-hmm. this with us. And if, yeah. understandably, if you want something where you just brief your agency and they go away and they come back with magic like mm-hmm. a month or whatever later... Great. But with us, you know, we're not going to take up all your time. We know you guys have jobs, Mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to get in there with us into the weeds and be comfortable having, we always say like, you're not going to hurt our feelings. This is all business, right? If we put something in front of you and you hate it, please Mm -hmm. tell us. And then we're going to dig into why. Mm -hmm. But without that, our process doesn't really work the way you don't get the magic that you should if you don't have everyone being willing participants. Not at all. And that comes back to your point about authenticity. In that if they don't truly embody their brand or embrace the new brand, then it's not going to come across to the consumer as authentic. 
Yeah. Well, because that's the key thing. If you go back to your point about brand and branding, Mm -hmm. then if you also go brand and advertising, there's a lot of people who think that's one and the same, Mm -hmm. but we always start at a point where we go, absolutely advertising can be an output. Like the best brand strategies should give you a filter for yeses and nos for operational Mm -hmm. decisions, for strategic Mm -hmm. decisions. Mm -hmm. It should give you kind of a guide of how, you know, how do our customer service people interact? How do we do Mm -hmm. that? What are different services we need to launch? Like it's about so much more than just an ad. And again, advertising when it comes at the right time and it's grounded Mm -hmm. in the right thinking can really unleash opportunity for a business. But Mm -hmm. we realized when we were launching the garden, not every solution is an ad. So let's... No, not at all. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can spend a lot of money on advertising. And if it doesn't connect, then that's just money completely wasted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So tell me, how can brands get the most out of working with an agency like yours? Well, one of them was kind of what I just said, which is participating, like being really involved in that. I think also being willing to kind of open up a little bit and share the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's Mm -hmm. sometimes a feeling of we don't want anybody to kind of see the dirty laundry. And, but that's an important part that now that's part of trust. You Mm -hmm. have to have that trust with whom you're working with. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'd say though, is there needs to be passion and excitement because I'd be lying if I didn't say we haven't had the odd engagement where whatever, during the initial meetings, like everybody's so excited. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in the process, they're not passionate about it anymore or they're not bought in. And so there has to be buy-in and commitment. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what it is. I think it's passion, commitment to wanting to really do something with your brand. If it's just a bit of a, oh, it's been four years. We need to go through this exercise every four years. Mm -hmm. I just, I love to work with people who are excited about the possibilities and don't close themselves off. Mm-hmm. And I also, I really, really do believe in this business that honesty between agencies and clients and also other partners at the table too, whomever's there, I think honesty is key. And it's not honesty without respect. There can be some people who are, to be honest, like it's not about being a jerk, you know, just coming mm-hmm. and go, mm-hmm. you're doing this wrong and that wrong and we'll yeah. just tell you the right way to do it. But it's about knowing when to say, we know this is maybe what you want to hear, mm-hmm. but we're going to tell you what we think you need to hear. And then we're here to help kind of dissect how do we make that work. And that goes two ways. Because like I said earlier, we've seen a lot of times a lot of resources and dollars go down the drain when -hmm. somebody hasn't been honest early on in the process. And I think, who knows, maybe it's a little bit of Canadian culture, right? We do tend to be quite nice and we want to be really kind to each other. Mm-hmm. But if that means that you're looking at work and you think, oh, I don't want to tell or thinking and you, and you go, I, I don't want to tell the agency I don't like it. Let's, I think the way it happens, I don't think it's quite so obvious. I think sometimes it's, well, they must be taking this somewhere. So let's, right. let's let it go and see where yeah. it's going. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, again, it's not necessarily killing everything out right out the gate, but if you're feeling that like as a client that working with an agency, inside. Yeah. yeah, like you've got a bit of a like, oh, it doesn't feel right. Then say that you don't, it doesn't mean you have to kill everything, but go, guys, it's not quite hanging together for me. Let's have some questions. Let's dig mm-hmm. a little bit. Let me sit with it. Mm-hmm. Those are the honest conversations that get to great places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had one client we were working with actually about a year and a half ago. 
And I was mentioning, you know, in the brand strategy process, we brought in those prototypes, those whys for their, mm-hmm. their brand. And we put them in front of them and we had awesome debate. All the team were like up at the wall. Some ideas fell away right away or some strategies because they we heard why they weren't quite right. But we had a couple that landed really well. And then mm-hmm. this was honestly the best thing I've ever heard from a client. He turned to me and he's like, Sherry, now I want you to do me a favor. These are great. Like we think there's some really, it's built on truth. There's some exciting stuff here. Now we want you and your team to go away. And I want you to bring back something that's going to scare us, scare the hell out of us. Interesting. And let's talk. Okay. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Because he was like, I think you guys can push the edges a bit further. And I'm not going to know if we've gone far enough until I see what's maybe almost too far. So let's do that. That for me is partnership. That's trust. Yeah. That's collaboration. And we were just like, you got it. Like, okay. And you know, it's a little bit, it's even like with, you know, I think what he intuitively understood is that with any type of creativity, even if you're just talking about ideating and and brainstorming, Mm -hmm. usually the first third of ideas that come up are good, but they're usually the ones that several people might think of. Yeah. A little bit safer. You Mm -hmm. push to that second third of ideas now you're talking, like now mm-hmm. interesting things are happening. Mm-hmm. Man, if you can get to the third, third of ideas, yeah, that's like magic. That's innovate. Yeah. That's stuff that hasn't been heard of before. Yeah. And I think he understood that that's part of the dynamic. And maybe he saw in us, we thought we'd push things. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I think he was like, I think you can push it a little bit further. So what was the outcome? So we ended up pushing and with two of the areas we came back with, <laughs> maybe not all his colleagues were there either. I remember them being in the room and they're like, no way, what? <laughs> what? Like what? And we were like, no, no, it's, here's the reasons why we went there. Yeah. But one of them that we went in with, he actually looked at it and said, I think this is great. I think it's actually pushing one of the areas you already had. And I like that mm-hmm. expression. We came mm-hmm. in with a totally new one and he's like, now I'm ready to go talk to consumers because okay. now we've got some stuff for them to respond to. And you've probably seen this throughout your career too. When research does come into it, because I'm, here's the interesting thing with me. A lot of people who know me know this. I'm a huge fan of research in that mm-hmm. first part of the process. That's where you're like looking for information, digging, like you're informing the process. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of research. Like after you've created an ad and you put it in front of people now and go in this very abstract environment, what do you think of this ad? I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. too late. But mm-hmm. in that case, what it gave us, I always look at research at that strategy phase of putting stimuli in front of people and seeing how they'll react to it. And too often I see research happen where it's like teensy little incremental differences. Like the researchers trying to say, okay, people in this room or on this online panel, mm-hmm. I'm going to share with you three or four different ideas and I want to get your reactions. And I've often sat behind that glass and watched customers go, that kind of sounds like the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. In that particular case, it got us to some really, really great space. Mm -hmm. We got a ton of insight. The way people were reacting to it was amazing. And then Mm -hmm. it allowed myself and my strategy team actually to take all of that fodder and -hmm. really shape an interesting narrative. And the thing was with our client who was heading up marketing, he now had a whole executive team we had to take this to, but he was now able to say like, we pushed over here. We pushed there. Here's where we saw people really responding and reacting. Mm-hmm. Here's how we've changed it. So it actually created a lot of information to help support the final recommendation with mm-hmm. a team that potentially at the highest level hadn't been involved all the way along. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just our opinions. It was actually mm-hmm. coming from their own customers. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. So you've invested a lot of time and effort into supporting other female entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that role and your role as an activator with GEO? You know, it's it's really interesting. I think part of it came from the fact that 
I don't know that I ever knew that I had it in me to be an entrepreneur. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, circumstances sometimes come together and you make that leap. And now that I'm doing it, I can't imagine a world where I'm, I'm not Mm -hmm. doing this. But it's interesting though, because it, it also, once you're doing this on your own, you look around and, you know, starting obviously with my own industry that surrounds me and something that became very apparent to me, you know, when we started six years ago with the really established agencies, I didn't see a whole lot of female founders. I definitely saw females in senior Mm -hmm. positions, but not a lot of female founders. Mm -hmm. And I started asking myself, you know, why is that? Mm -hmm. And I think we bring a different style and a different Mm -hmm. way of approaching challenges. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like not only are there real barriers, real systemic barriers, Mm -hmm. we also create a lot of barriers in our minds, I think, for what we think we can do. And this was not like me waking up one day being like, oh, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to go do this. Even as Shane and I were thinking about being entrepreneurs, there were points in the process where I was like, I'm not sure if this is right. And I did a lot of Mm -hmm. things. It's not wrong, but as women Mm -hmm. and part of families, I'm Mm -hmm. sure men go through this too. But I was like, is Mm -hmm. this the wrong time with my kids at the age they're at? So I realized all of those things. Then I got started in my business and, you know, a year or two in, I saw all the mistakes and things we were making. And I just realized I was at a point in my career where this happens, where you just realize I want to start giving back and helping. And I think the way I can do that is maybe help both supporting women who are already dipping their toe in and wanting to do things and also clear Mm -hmm. the runway for others who were younger and who weren't sure and maybe were doubting themselves. And so it happened kind of fluidly and it, you know, it Mm -hmm. comes from wanting to be a mentor, wanting to share what you've done. And so it led me in different directions. And it was funny because my involvement with CEO, I had not heard of CEO. Okay. (laughs) It was actually the garden's account manager at RBC. They're our bank. It was him that put me in touch. So what he did was he wrote to me and he's like, Hey, Sherry, RBC sponsors this program. It's called CEO. There's a breakfast coming up. Vicki Saunders, who's the founder of this organization, is speaking. He was like, I don't know a ton about it, but it's about, you know, a new funding model for businesses, but female-led businesses. And he's like, I don't know, it sounds right up your alley. And he's like, if you'd like, I can, you have to be invited by somebody here, but I'd love to invite you. So certainly he was doing a good job, right? He was bringing value to me as one of his customers, but Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm interested. So I showed up. And um, one of the entrepreneurs who'd been supported by CEO was speaking, and I met so many amazing women in the room. It was like a two-hour breakfast, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm just to see the passion in like a young entrepreneur and how CEO had helped her. That was kind of what they opened mm-hmm. with. Her name was uh, Alana Benari, actually, who who has a, a company called I think it's called Twenty One Toys, but she was talking about mm-hmm. her first product, which was called the Empathy Toy, mm-hmm. and I just she inspired me. She's probably 10 or 15 years younger than I am. And I was so inspired mm-hmm. by her. So I was so excited. And then to have Vicky come up and say, the venture capital world is broken. There's a reason that only 5% mm-hmm. of businesses being funded are female led. And it's Absolutely. because the people listening to the pitches don't understand the kinds of products we might need. And unfortunately, we're only funding ideas now that maybe are applicable to half the population. There's all the yeah. other opportunities being missed. But also there were a lot of ways even about how venture capital comes together and how it's formed that she also saw problems with it. And I'm drawn to people who are trying to solve problems in different ways. So mm-hmm. I, I really got involved not knowing exactly how I would be involved in the organization. And it's been three years now. And honestly, the ventures get so much out of it. One of the things I love most is that once a year, we go into the voting process of Mm -hmm. all of those women who are pitching their businesses to receive funding. Mm -hmm. 
And that process, it's a very collaborative, like almost a crowdsourcing process of picking ventures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We all participate. We're active participants. But honestly, those days that I spend reviewing applications and seeing what those business ideas are, I get so inspired. I'm literally like, that's such a great idea. How could somebody (laughs) not have thought of that? So that in and of itself is so rewarding. Yeah. And and then even once all the ventures are picked, I don't know how much you or, or the listeners to this podcast know, but there's so many components to CEO. But one of the things I love about it's the activators ourselves who fund. It's a perpetual fund. And mm-hmm. the more activators there are, the more businesses we can fund. There's a pool of dollars. They're actually issued as non-interest bearing loans. And mm-hmm. they just have to be paid back within five years. Mm-hmm. But there's this pool of funds. And what happens once all the ventures are picked, they all get together. And they decide themselves how the money is going to be dispersed between them. They all tell each other their business stories, what their needs mm-hmm. are, how they're going to mm-hmm. use the funding. And then they wow. democratically decide how to disperse the funds that are available. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So how does one get involved with that organization? There's a website. It's sheeo.world. Uh, that's one way is just to go and find out about the organization. During the pandemic, it's actually been really interesting. I, I, I think, again, we talked about how there's been a silver lining for some organizations. It mm-hmm. gave the, sh- and again, this is me speaking as someone who's just an activator. I don't, I don't run the organization or anything. But from the outside, mm-hmm. what I really saw was that they had to figure out how to build a sense of community in this space. Mm-hmm. And they killed it. Like they're actually, they've managed to connect with both activators and ventures in ways they never were able to before. And so that's another way. There's a lot of Zoom sort of meet CEO, like sessions mm-hmm. that they do where you can hear from ventures and activators and just get on a Zoom call for like an hour. Mm-hmm. You can go on the site, read stories about ventures that have been funded. This has nothing to do with being an entrepreneur. It's about supporting entrepreneurs. So you could be working mm-hmm. in a massive multinational corporation and be like, I believe in that. And mm-hmm. you put in on an annual basis, you personally commit just over $1,000. And that's mm-hmm. what, what the commitment is. And it goes into the fund. Mm-hmm. You could also get your company to, like if you work for a really big company too, they certainly mm-hmm. take corporate donations. Mm-hmm. So that's the one whole side of it. It allows you just, if you're passionate about seeing women succeed, anybody mm-hmm. can be a part of that. And then the other piece of it is ventures. Now you have to be a okay. venture that's already generating mm-hmm. income. It's not a fund for startup ideas. It's not an accelerator. It mm-hmm. actually is for businesses that have at least... I believe it's 24 months of revenue because you've got to be able to share some financials. But Mm -hmm. if you are, applications are ongoing and they close, I think, in October. So if anybody out there has a business and thinks you need (laughs) some funding to get to the next level or just to keep things going, Mm -hmm. go to CEO.world and look into that. That's so inspiring. Tell me about the book that you recently contributed to. Oh, yeah. So that was an initiative that came from, there was actually an executive education program that I got very lucky quite early in my career. I was, I was probably 30 at the time. And I got the opportunity to be a part of an executive education program called the Judy Project. It's done in partnership with Rotman, the Rotman okay. School of Business, mm-hmm. which is based in Toronto. It's part of the University of Toronto. But it's the story behind the program is what's most interesting. I'll try and really just put it in a nutshell because it's sad, but it's inspiring. There was a female marketing leader in Canada, and she was the head of one of the products divisions at Microsoft, and her name was Judy Elder. Mm-hmm. And she she ended up passing away in her 40s from a very rare, I believe it was a rare blood condition. Okay. But um, about eight weeks before her death, she gave a speech I think for, I think it's called like the Women's Leadership Network or the Women, it's suffice it to say, it was, she was invited to be a, mm-hmm. a keynote speaker. And she gave a speech called 
I think it was called Mother's Father's Work Ambition. I think it was mm-hmm. something like that. And okay. she gave a she gave a speech to this audience and it was incredibly inspiring. But the impetus of it was why for women was ambition considered such a bad word? Ambition Absolutely. just had so many negative connotations. Thank you. Yes. It is such an inspiring speech. She gave it in, I think it was 2001, I okay. believe, 2000 mm-hmm. or 2001. So what happened when she died, she had so many people around her who had been so inspired by Judy and were such a key part of her life, including her husband as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she left behind a husband and two sons. And they were trying to determine what would be the best way to remember Judy. How could they create a legacy? Mm-hmm. And yes, they were like, it could be a scholarship fund. And that made a ton of sense. That was, I think, where they started. But this group of women that were incredibly close friends of Judy's and also very ambitious women mm-hmm. got together along with Judy's husband and said, they had a much bigger idea. And their mm-hmm. idea was, what if we created an executive education program intended to literally ensure mm-hmm. that more women become CEOs mm-hmm. and founders in this country. Like they actually put it really on point. It wasn't VPs and leaders. It actually was, we need more female CEOs. Absolutely. And so then they created a program and they decided for it to be really legitimate. Doing it in partnership with an academic institution made sense. And that's where the partnership with Rotman started. Mm-hmm. And then the way it worked is they went out to big organizations across the country and asked if they would sponsor a woman in their organization to go to this executive program who they felt had the potential to be a president or a CEO. Wow. That's amazing. I was actually working at an agency at the time and they, I didn't know about the program and they nominated me and they put me into that program. So I was actually a part of the Judy project in its second inaugural year. Okay. There's so many other stories about that, about how I went through my own imposter syndrome. I was like, young. I'm surrounded by all these incredibly powerful women. And I did the worst thing possible. I was like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm not like, I maybe maybe shouldn't be Mm -hmm. the one that's here. And it was a real learning journey for me. Mm -hmm. But through the years, so that program ended up having its 20th, was it its 20th, 15th or 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And in honor of that, they realized Colleen Moorhead, who is one of the founders of the program, Mm -hmm. she started speaking with publishers. And she was like, one of the things I know is that we've put so many women through this program and we now have so many women from that program who are now CEOs, who are like, it worked, but we also have unbelievably valuable stories to share. So let's Mm -hmm. create a book. So she reached out to the whole network of alumnus, of Mm -hmm. alumni, and asked who would want to contribute. And anybody who wanted to submitted initial manuscripts. And then for the ones that were going into the book, they assigned editors to us and we worked with them. And within 12 months, we had a book. And it was published and it went to the top of Amazon's business bestseller lists. And Mm -hmm. it's an amazing book for young women starting careers, people in late stages of their careers, men. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's just great leadership lessons and stories. So I'm so so proud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud that I, I had the chance to contribute and they, they divided the book into eight chapters based on eight of the key traits that Judy believed mm-hmm. were both critical to women's success and core to their success. And my chapter goes under the area. It was called reinvention. It was being open to reinventing yourself. Mm. So yeah. Tell me about your role as an activator with CEO. Well, CEO is a, a really interesting organization started by a, a very inspiring woman by the name of Vicki Saunders, who literally looked and said, there's got to be a better way to, first of all, fund female businesses. Because right now, the fact that 
5% of venture capital is going to women-led businesses is a travesty. Mm-hmm. But she also felt like the model was broken. So the CEO organization was created to fund female-led businesses that are actually working on the world's agenda. That's very much how, how it's expressed. Mm-hmm. When I was introduced to CEO, there's sort of two key components to it to really boil it down in a nutshell. And there are activators mm-hmm. and there are ventures. Actually, it's not. I was going to say it's women. It's not just women, but it's people who want to support female-led businesses and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And it's a fund that is actually funded by the activators. So the way you become an activator at the base level, what you do is you on an annual basis contribute in and around $1,000 and every activator is contributing to a perpetual fund uh, that the size of that fund determines how many ventures can then be funded. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other components that you could talk about in terms of sharing wisdom and advice and networks, key mm-hmm. thing that women don't leverage enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other side of it are the ventures. And those Mm -hmm. are female-led businesses, many of whom need a boost, are trying to get to that next level of growth. They're not, the one key distinction to make is that the fund itself is not for, it's not an accelerator. So it's not for startup businesses. It's for businesses that have probably about, I think about 24 months Mm -hmm. of revenue, history of revenues generated. Mm -hmm. But it's this incredible circle that is supportive. It's a community. It's definitely about dollars. You cannot build a business without money and great advice goes so far, but you need the dollars behind it. But it also is very much about that community coming together. And as an activator, I, I've done it for three years now. So Mm -hmm. I contribute to that fund. One of the best parts of that experience is getting to select the ventures that go ahead and hear those pitches. And for me, selfishly, it's a huge source of inspiration. I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited. Like, When you hear the business ideas, you literally get blown away by it. The other thing to know about CEO as well is that when I started, it was in Canada and really starting to spread its wings in the U.S. Mm-hmm. CEO now has activators and ventures in, mm-hmm. I think, five or six markets around the world. So it's Canada, the U.S., the U.K., Australia. Like it is, this is a phenomenon. And I tell you, this model is going to change like the venture capital world. And it's super exciting. That's incredible. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's just really amazing. If you had a piece of advice for a female entrepreneur that was starting out, or at least in the first few years, what would you tell them? I would say, first of all, it's, and and I don't know if this is as relevant to maybe younger entrepreneurs, but certainly growing up, I always heard, you can have it all, you can have it all. (laughs) And I think you can have a lot, but you need Mm -hmm. to do it with others. You need to let other people in. You need a support mm-hmm. network and you need to feel comfortable with that. That's not a sign of weakness. In fact, yeah. I actually think it's a sign of strength, knowing where to go out and ask for help and support. Yes. Um, so that would be my, my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice though, would also be to not question yourself into like a corner of rejection, like almost mm-hmm. rejecting yourself. I think that can be a real source of protection and security is to reject yourself because it means nobody else has. So it's being brave. And you know what I will actually, and I'll tell you probably the best piece of advice. And it was actually a piece of advice that came to me. I think I might've mentioned before that, you know, there were times when I wasn't sure about this venture and I was maybe going to walk away from it. Okay. And it's part of it is because I was looking at the success of an entrepreneurial venture as a zero sum game. It was Mm -hmm. success or it was failure. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I didn't know that I could weather the failure. Mm -hmm. 
And when I spoke to both my business partner, as well as my husband about that, when I was ready to step away, they both said very similar things to me, which was, first of all, they were like, okay, Sherry, you got to sit down for a second. You need a bit of a reality check, which is, they were like, this, first of all, is not so black and white. Mm-hmm. And they said, and also, where in the world did you think that if this venture doesn't work, that you're mm-hmm. a failure? They're like, yeah. imagine with the career behind you, you now have the bravery to go out and start something mm-hmm. on your own. And mm-hmm. what you do is maybe put a time frame around it. Don't look at it as this ethereal thing. Maybe you, like you should probably say to yourself, I'm going to give this 24 months. Here right. are the, the indicators of success for me. Mm-hmm. And if we don't meet those then it's okay as well. This is the other advice. It's okay as well to step away and follow a different path. That's not Mm -hmm. failure. That's learning and experience. Mm -hmm. It it was like, as soon as they said that, it kind of opened things up for me. And I went, you're right. Like I, I literally talk about being a doomsayer. I was like, if this doesn't work, my career is Mm -hmm. over. And they're like, really, no one's ever going to hire you again. Really? You think that's what's going to happen. So that's the other piece of advice is don't make it so success failure oriented. Set out your terms of success, give yourself Mm -hmm. time and also Mm -hmm. give yourself permission that if it doesn't work out exactly as you wanted, Mm -hmm. go down a different path, but take all that learning with you. Thank you for saying that. I think a lot of people need to hear that and be Mm -hmm. reminded that because I think that we invest so much of our own personal self-worth is attached to our business ventures. And, yes, you know, <laughs> it, it isn't always a straight line and most often it isn't. So I think that failure also breeds resilience as well. And that'll only help you for future challenges in the times ahead. So, yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. I actually think mm-hmm. resilience is probably the number one trait of a successful mm-hmm. entrepreneur. And remember, success mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're a unicorn or you're making no millions of dollars or you're 500 people. Like it's, there's many other measures of success. And I think that's something that I continuously tell myself. I have two young kids at home. I have a team of staff. I've got many clients. And as a woman, you wear so many different hats every single day. And sometimes if you feel like you're giving your children all the attention they deserve, then you're dropping the ball in other areas or you're giving your your clients a lot of attention, then you're dropping the ball at home. And I think that we really have to just cut ourselves a bit of slack sometimes. Absolutely. I almost swore. I almost said like, (laughs) absolutely. Yes, that is, that's very, very true and very insightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well... Why don't we do a little bit of a quick fire? Okay. So I am going to ask you a few questions. <laughs> I am nervous about this, but. <laughs> so we can just, if if you don't have anything that immediately comes to mind, just say pass. Okay. But uh, the point is, is just for, for quick, hopefully one or two word answers. And we'll move on to the next one. All right. What was your first job? I worked at Taco Bell. Nice. Night owl or early bird? Oh, early bird. Definitely. Cat or dog person? Oh, uh, cat-ish dog. (laughs) What was the first thing you marketed? Gatorade. Dark chocolate or milk? Dark chocolate. What is your favorite word right now? Awestruck. Nice. What was the last charity you supported, either with your time and why? Oh, 
I guess you could say CEO, but actually there's actually a more local one in, in my neighborhood called the Riverdale Brigade that has been about sourcing everything from food baskets to money to help uh, people in our neighborhood who haven't been as fortunate through this time. Nice. What's your favorite movie? Oh my gosh. Okay, this is the first one that came to mind and I don't know why I don't have a why for it, but Dead Poets Society came into my head. (laughs) Just something that sticks with you. Yeah. If you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing? Hmm. I would... I'd be trying to do some combination of maybe a little bit of teaching. I don't think I'd be in Canada. I think I'd be like either in the south of France or I'd be on a beach in Costa Rica. So put those together. I'm not sure what what business that is, but. uh... Well, that seems especially (laughs) wonderful right now when we're all just. (laughs) Maybe that's why it's top of mind. I'm so missing being anywhere. At one point I did, I will say at one point I did think I wanted to start an adventure biking company in the middle of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Totally different. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) What is your guiltiest pleasure? It's, it's definitely wine and like right now too much wine, not just, not just drinking it, but like now that wine brokers are sending out emails and things all the time, honestly, Shelly, like I'm ordering cases of wine from all these different brokers and wineries. And my husband's like, it's like the home, the shopping network, but you've got like this direct line. So anybody out there who wonders if email marketing works, it certainly does in some categories. Okay. Thank you for saying that because I am one of email marketing's biggest fans, also biggest users. So (laughs) I am, I'm uh, a member of three different wine clubs at the moment, so I can really (laughs) Oh my God. I love you. I probably need to, I probably need to share notes with you after and find out what they are. Exactly. (laughs) And, and some really great, um, I hate the word, but COVID pivots with the wine clubs as well. So, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I'll bet. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's your most treasured possession? Oh my goodness. It's often, it's funny. I've never been a person who's super attached to my possessions. So it's, it's actually all like, okay, this is not my most treasured possession, but when you're, when I think right now about something I'm loving, it's so ridiculous, but with the help of somebody who works with me, who did all the research, I've created my own do-it-yourself Peloton setup in my garage. And right now it's my prized possession because I went for a big part of the pandemic without it and I wasn't exercising. And I set that up. And once I changed my headspace a little bit and went, just go do it, it literally is this escape for me. Like, I'm not kidding you. It's in my garage. But no kids, no one around me. I pumped the music up really it's loud. You time. It's awesome. I love it. So yeah, right now, that stupid do-it-yourself bike I've got. Nice. Very good. <laughs> is there a business or marketing book that you'd recommend? Oh my God, Yes. It's actually one. So uh, another thing that I do is I'm I'm right now an entrepreneur in residence with the um, Pierre Morissette Entrepreneurship Institute at Western University. And I so as I've been working with different students who have like venture ideas and are entrepreneurs, I send all of them this book after I work with them because I love it so much. And it's actually by somebody else who runs my favorite podcast, okay. which is Guy Raz. Okay. And it's How I Built This. Mm, yes. I... I literally love that book. First of all, I love Guy Raz. I love that podcast. And I love it because the book doesn't just tell individual stories of entrepreneurs. He has Mm -hmm. kind of themes. Mm -hmm. There's so many lessons in that book. I Mm -hmm. read it and I was like, oh my goodness. And it's from everybody from like 
more current entrepreneurs, like everybody from like the Airbnbs or the Warby Parkers that we think about automatically, but all the way back mm-hmm. to like Herb Kelleher, who unfortunately passed away, but he had been the, the founder of Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. The individual, I can't remember his name, but he founded Atari. Mm-hmm. And he features really diverse entrepreneurs. There's women, there's men, all different backgrounds. So How I Built This, that's the name of the mm-hmm. book. Such a Love great it. book, such a great podcast. Definitely highly recommend. Yeah. Okay. Last but not least, what is a life hack you'd be willing to share? (laughs) It's funny because I actually feel like my bike I just told you about would be my life hack. (laughs) Honestly, it's like I was trying to save money. I was being really conscious and I found an inexpensive bike. Like if people watch me going out to my garage, I've got this bike that I love. And then I take my phone and I have an app on my phone that I pop into it that tracks my stats. I bring out my laptop and put that on top of like a shelf that we have in our garage. And that's where I do my classes. And it gives me flexibility to do all different classes. And I have a speaker set up. It's like a full-time job getting all my stuff out there. But it's honestly the most awesome life hack. I love it. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. And why don't we conclude with telling us what is next for the garden? How does the year look ahead or beyond? You know what? It's looking really exciting. Like not only, as I mentioned, you know, we started off the beginning of this year, our team pretty well intact, but not really certain of everything that was ahead of us. It did a couple things Mm -hmm. for us. It forced us, we actually spent a bit of time looking inward at ourselves and Mm -hmm. put a finer point on our own brand strategy and then use that to develop our website, rethink how we present ourselves to prospective clients. So that set the stage for what is now looking like a ton of momentum right now. We're just about to, um, you know what, I'll say it here, but it's it hasn't been announced in the press yet, but we've just won an AOR, an agency, if for people who don't know, an agency of record with SodaStream, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Oh, wow. And then mm-hmm. I, have one I know right I love there. it. I live by my, uh, <laughs> with my soda stream. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we've got a lot of other kind of exciting perspective pieces of business, I think, to start announcing. And then also we spent some time mm-hmm. over the last year taking a lot of the workshops that we do. They're really rooted in uh, the process of creative problem solving. And so we decided to take that and create some training because we've had a number of our clients over the years ask us to run training sessions for them on how we run certain workshops, how we approach problem solving. And so we've actually turned that into mm-hmm. a full training program now that we haven't launched yet, but that should be coming in the fall. We're putting all the pieces together now. And that's very different in our business. We see it as sort of sharing our secrets almost, but we feel like that's, I think that's part of, for me, that's always been a philosophy for me that the more we can kind of help more businesses, more entrepreneurs, I think everybody kind of rises mm-hmm. with that. And, and that was kind of the thinking mm-hmm. with creating this program. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining me today. It's just been so inspiring to hear you talk about everything and all of your successes. And I really wish you all the best in the future. And I look forward to uh, hearing what you get up to later on. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it, Shelley. It was great meeting you. And it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.